I'm going to spare you, and we're just going to move on to Ephesians 1, uh, talking about the gospel, uh, which is kind of what we, I mean, it defines who we are, uh, obviously, as the gospel is the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that his life was a perfect life that none of us could live, because uh, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but he didn't. He didn't, uh, which is interesting. So he, he took his perfection, uh, lived a sinless life, but died a sinner's death. He hung on a cross like he had done something wrong, but he hadn't. Uh, he hung on a cross because you and I have done things wrong. You and I have rebelled against the authority of God. You and I have fallen short of God's glory, and that demands a price to be paid. We talked about that in the the redemption part of our series from Ephesians 1. The redemption is the ransom. That's his blood that sets us free from sin, from death, from fear, from everything. From the dominion of the evil one, we have been freed by the blood of Jesus. This is good news. But he died and he was placed in a tomb. And three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised from the dead right? Uh, Jesus dying doesn't do anything for us if he doesn't come raised from the dead. If he's not raised from the dead, he's another dead prophet in a line of many. Uh, But the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. If it didn't happen, then we have no hope. That's what Paul says. He said, if this is all a trick, if this is all a joke, then we should be pitied more than anybody else on earth because the resurrection is our hope. Cool thing is, we're not passing down a story that was made up. We have historical uh, reasoning, evidence to believe that even non people that did not believe in Jesus still talked about the resurrection. People that did not put their faith in Jesus still talked about the fact that he was real, he was a prophet, and he died on a cross, and then he was seen three days later over a period of 40 days. So you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to affirm that the resurrection happened. Because even people that didn't give their life to him, uh, they talked about it uh, in history. This is the gospel. Let's look at Ephesians 1. I want to read two verses with you this morning. Ephesians 1, we're going to be in verses 13 and 14 this morning. This is our last of four discussions based upon Ephesians 1. We've talked about the fact that we are adopted through the gospel by our heavenly father talked about the fact that we are redeemed through the blood of christ through the gospel last week we talked about the fact that we have an inheritance all of those three things had eternal implications eternal life and they all had everyday life implications and today is no different we're going to talk about the eternal life implications of the gospel but also the everyday life reasons that it is good so 13 and 14 in him being jesus You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So when you heard and when you believed the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a down payment of more that is to come. More that is to come. Anybody know what the word earnest money, that's two words, so don't let me deceive you. Anybody know what earnest money is? Okay. And maybe the most known place that that happens for the everyday Joe is house, real estate. Put down money. Uh, sometimes it's 1% to 3%, but it's, it's money you put down before the deal is done that says, I'm going to do the deal. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I have my money on the table. What happens if... You put down earnest money and you just wake up the day of closing and you say, I really just don't want the house. What happens to your earnest money? 
Do what? You lose it. You lose the earnest money. You lose the earnest money. Uh, and it goes to the existing homeowner. Uh, so it, 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 the earnest money is a small percent uh, guaranteeing I can't even spell. Guaranteeing full payment. Because you have a little, it guarantees that you'll get the whole thing later on. Right? And it binds us. Um, so uh, let's, let's look at the other side of this. Because in Arkansas, uh, for some reason in this day and time, earnest money is not an assume, assumed thing. You can buy a house without putting earnest money down. I've done it. So for the seller that has a house, let's say you've got a house and somebody says, I want to buy your house and I agree to give you $150,000 for your house. What ha- if you don't have earnest money, what happens to the seller until closing day and the papers are signed and, and it's, it's a done deal? What, what's the mentality of the existing homeowner during that month? Uneasy. Yep. Until closing day, when the deal's done, you're always questioning whether or not it's going to actually happen. But if you've got earnest money, a lot of that fear and hesitation is gone, right? So this is earnest money. Without it, you have that unknown. Did y'all see me spill that on my shirt? That was awesome. That was awesome. Constant worry until closing is complete. Let's look at this. In Galatians chapter 4, chapter, verses 4 through 7, the same author, Paul, writing to a different group of people, a different church, church in Galatia. That's why they call it Galatians. Uh, Paul says this, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but now you're a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So Paul's repeating the same thing that he said in Ephesians 1. Same concept he's telling to a different group of people. He says that when you believe Jesus, let's look at this. You got the Father the Son, and the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul lays all three of these out here in this context. The Father is King of creation. He owns everything, but He's also the adopting Dad. The dad who has adopted us is king of all creation. He made it, he owns it, he commands it, and it obeys him. Ah, except for us. <laughs> all creation obeys. When Jesus was standing in the boat and his disciples were having a panic attack, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care about us? Would you wake up? Would you, would you just do something here? The storm is huge, and we're about to get killed by the storm. And Jesus stands up, and he says, peace, be still. And the disciples are like, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is the king of all creation. That's who he is. He speaks, and at the sound of his voice, creation obeys. But he's also an adopting father. The son, according to Paul in Galatians, lived. He died. And he he lives again. This is the Son. Uh, He is seated in heaven at the right hand of His Father. And He is returning soon. This is the Son, according to Paul. He lived. He was born of a woman, like in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, born of a woman in the flesh, under the law, 
to redeem those who are under the law. Under the law, just simply think about the Ten Commandments. That's the easiest way for you to remember this. The most simple form of the law, Ten Commandments. All of us are guilty. Jesus was born under the same instructions of God, but he was not guilty. In order to set us free who are found guilty. And he does that so that we can be adopted by the Father. Right? Um, And he's seated in heaven, returning soon. But then the Spirit. The Spirit is the King's seal. And I don't mean like, or, or. Not like walrus. Um, But if you know anything about ancient days, kings would have a ring. It's called a signet ring. Uh, The closest thing I can imagine to it is if you had a a notary in today's time. It's a stamp that shows authority and approval and ownership. So the king had a, a ring and he would dip it in hot wax and then he would stamp it and make an impression on whatever he says, this is mine, I have declared it and it is so. And he stamps that with a seal. That's the king's seal. He says, that's what the Holy Spirit is. When I stamped you, when I put the Holy Spirit in you, it shows that you belong to the king according to his authority. He is a seal. But he is also my earnest payment. The Holy Spirit is my earnest payment. I'm going to return to that. But he's a small payment of a great kingdom. So if the Holy Spirit is my earnest payment, and the earnest payment is a guarantee of purchase, it's a small payment guaranteeing full payment later, what does that mean about the Holy Spirit? If that's what he's telling you it is, that's who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, what does that mean for us? All you got to do is say what I said, just say it in a different way so it sounds like you're listening. The Father, King of creation, all creation is his kingdom, sent his Son who lived, died, and lives again by the power of the Spirit. And he sends the Holy Spirit as proof that those who have it belong to him. And it's a small payment of a great kingdom that's going to be yours one day. It's going to be yours one day. So what that means for those of us that have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and Paul says that if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you don't belong to the Father. Very clear. says that to us in Romans. Those who have been stamped with the Holy Spirit, the ownership, the authority of our Heavenly Father, those that have the Spirit of God living in you, you belong to the King. You're His adopted Son. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to the King. That makes a lot of Baptist people nervous. We'll get to that later. But it's a, it's, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that you belong to Him and you're going to get everything later. Your Father, the King of creation, is going to give you an inheritance as His entire kingdom one day. When Jesus returns, He brings the entire kingdom with Him and it belongs to you. Not as a slave, not as a servant, but as an heir to the throne. You're, you're a child of the King and you are in the royal family. The kingdom is yours as well. Holy cow. Right? The Holy Spirit tells you that. So those of us that have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We don't have to say, well, on closing day, I wonder if I'm His. No, if you have the Holy Spirit, on closing day, you are His. Jesus returns. He judges all creation. And you don't have to worry about that day because you already know you belong to Him. And when Jesus comes in judgment as a king, you know that the kingdom that comes with Him is your kingdom. It's good news for all eternity. That's good news. The Spirit... We're going to get to some really practical stuff here in a minute. The Spirit, I want you to think about this, equals faith. Not like the Spirit 
is your faith, but with the Spirit comes faith. The Spirit equals faith. The Spirit... Here's your one point for the day. The Spirit of God is received... Whoa, that's a B. Is received by faith and for faith. This is our one point of the day. If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. Let me put an arrow and a star because that's what you need to remember. The Spirit of God is received by faith for faith. All right? So why is the gospel so good? Because in eternal life, he says this. This is our eternal life implications. For those who believe, do I believe? Do I believe Jesus lived, died, lives again, seated at the right hand of God? He's coming again one day. If I believe that by faith, I receive the Holy Spirit, which makes proof that I belong to the Father for all eternity. If I believe it, that's evidence. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Do you believe this? If you do, you can have confidence because he also says that no man can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest evidences of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me is the faith that also dwells in me. Because I couldn't, number one, say Jesus is Lord with a good conscience if the Holy Spirit wasn't in me welling that up. But the flip side of that is I am Jesus' servant. And I can't say that apart from the Holy Spirit either. It's the same statement reversed. The Holy Spirit is received by faith for faith. So I'll say, do you believe it? Next, you say, are you beginning to believe it? If you're beginning to believe it, then you look and you say, the Holy Spirit is active in my life. He's producing. He's, he's moving. He's, he's drawing me. If, I, if I'm beginning to look at that and say, you know what, that makes more sense than it did yesterday. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. Do you want to believe it? Because if you want to believe it, you've never had that desire on your own. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I want to believe this. I want to become a servant of Jesus. So if you're beginning to, if you believe it, beginning to believe it, want to believe it, you can celebrate today because the Holy Spirit is active in your life producing faith. That's an incredible, incredible thing because if that's true it results in me being adopted by the father because of what the son has done for me holy spirit lives in me by faith and for faith okay so does anyone have a story about how they first believed what's your story about how you first believed the gospel and can we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit moving us towards faith anybody got something that you it doesn't have to be miraculous some of us have like extravagant stories some of us have really simple stories you have a story We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'm going to wait till I get a story. It's what I do. Hannah, what's your story? Teaching 101, if nobody answers, call somebody by name. Remember that tomorrow.
Good. So in the absence of her earthly father, she came to the end of herself and for the first time leaned and depended upon her heavenly adopted father and it satisfied her soul, bringing her peace. And so sometimes the implications of the gospel in everyday life affirm everything else we don't see. We talked about that a little bit last week. So I look at it, I agree with the bullet points, but I haven't really known the goodness of the gospel until I came to the end of myself and my heavenly father who adopted me stepped in. And I believed it like, believed it for the first time. It's good. Somebody else. Remember when you first believed this gospel? And so it's interesting that as, as, as many people try to convince you of something, it doesn't land in the heart, but when the Holy Spirit convinces you of something, it lands in the heart. And you're like, oh, yeah, he took care of me. He, he received by or through faith, right? Does, does that mean, before we move on to the next point, if I have faith... I believe, I trust in this message, becoming a, a child of the Father, receiving the Spirit. Does that mean that my faith does not waver or have questions? Do all my questions magically go away on day one saying, I'm in? They didn't for me. So if they did for you, good, <laughs> good for you. But I think you're a liar. Right? You don't have to have all your questions to have enough faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that he knew produced the biggest plant that they knew. just takes a little bit, and it produces an incredible thing, right? So faith is not an amount thing. It's a substance thing. It's not how much faith do you have is what is your faith in. Even if you put a pin dot amount of faith in the person of Jesus, it is sufficient to save you and redeem you. It'll grow over time. It'll grow over time. All right? Everyday life. So let's get to the implications of everyday life. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. So what about everyday life? Okay. I saw my bullet point and I forgot what my point was, so now I've got to come back. Everyday life. Uh, like I said, it, it kind of makes many people nervous because when we talk about the Holy Spirit and how you know and how you engage and how you operate with the Holy Spirit, it uh, makes a lot of people nervous because there's some different spectrums that people who trust in Jesus kind of fall on. Um, I'm not going to go into both ends of the spectrum there, but uh, here, here's the deal. Ten years ago, uh, almost, we bought a house, the house that we live in, and apparently ten years is where everything falls apart. 
Uh, I don't know if you've lived in a house for 10 years. You guys, nine years from now, you're going to be calling me and say, dude, my house is falling apart. Come fix every little thing. Because in my house right now, we remodeled this thing. 10 years ago, our 40-year-old house was brand new. Everything was brand new, from the toilets to the carpet to the hardwood to the cabinets to the bathtub. It was all brand new. 10 years in, both of my toilets are broke. Our kitchen sink's jacked up. Um, Carpet. Don't even talk to me about carpet. Uh, I had to paint the outside after replacing all the rotten wood that was on the outside, rotten siding. So apparently 10 years is when it goes bad, and, and, and there's a different response between me and my wife. So with the kitchen sink, the handle, if you've been to my house in the last two months, you know that when you touch the handle, it, it falls. What would you do in the backyard? Yeah, I had to fix the handle to the door too, right? Because Christy broke it. She grabbed the handle and pulled it off my door. She's incredibly strong. She didn't break it. My kids broke it. But because that's part of the list, right? So now with the kitchen sink, for the past two months, it's been a conversation. I want to say argument. Maybe a conversation. It got heated at times. Concerning the handle on the kitchen sink. Because every time Shelly turns the water on, it falls over and it clanks on the countertop. Because you can pull the whole thing off and hand it to each other and pass it around the room if you want to. Shelly's response is go buy me a new faucet. Just go get a new faucet. My like, baby, faucets are like $200. We're not going to go buy a new faucet. My response is I need to figure out what's wrong with this one. I need to know how it works so I can know how to fix it and use it. Shelly's like, throw it away, get me a new one. I said, no, we've got to slow down, figure out how it works so that we know how to fix it and how to use it, right? I think that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit sometimes. When you get in Christian circles and you don't know how to operate with the Holy Spirit, a lot of people just don't ever talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. We're just like, throw it away. Don't know how it works. So we're just going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about our Heavenly Father and the Son, and we're not going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. But my way of thinking says we need to figure out how he works so that we can know how to operate, right? So I want to help you out. I want to give you a tool this morning. I want to give you a tool this morning that helps. Look at Galatians chapter 5. So if you're in Ephesians 1, you can turn back a page or two, depending on your Bible. Galatians chapter 5, Paul's talking to the church in Galatia. And uh, he says this in verse 16, and then I'm going to jump to 19. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you'll certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Jump to 19. He says, the work of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's obvious. And I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul gives two options that will be our driving force in our life. Two options that Paul gives. Flesh and the Spirit. That's our two options for what drives our life. Paul gives us the flesh represents our natural tendency. We're corrupted by sin. And just do whatever's natural. That's what Paul's talking about is the flesh. But the spirit, as stated earlier, is faith. If you walk by faith in the truth, not in the flesh and just whatever comes, be By faith, walk according to the gospel, 
That's walking in the Spirit. Okay? So I need your help real quick. The Spirit of God is received through faith and for faith. What are the works of the flesh that Paul lists? What's our natural tendency? If we just go with the flow, what does Paul say are the works of the flesh? I need a list here. We just read them. Shout it out. Galatians 5. That's why you bring your Bible to church today. We're going to have one of those. Actually, we're going to buy a bunch of Bibles so we have them handy. Galatians 5. He said the works of the flesh are obvious. They include what? Adultery. Did he say that? Uh, idolatry. Yes. Idolatry. Sounds the same. Completely different. Uh, go ahead and give me more. Oh, are they both there? Look at you. I'm sorry, Mark. I apologize. Okay. Fornication. Anybody know what that means? Sleeping around. Right? If you do what's natural, you just chase anybody you're attracted to. Have your way. Leads to adultery. Okay. All right. So what else is on here? Witchcraft. Whoa, I just spelled that wrong. Okay. Okay. Hatred. Woo, burst of hatred, too. Burst of anger. Outburst of anger. Okay, it's a pretty good list that he gives us there. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's a whole nother list. Uh, now, somebody got to sing the song for us if you learned the song when you were a kid. Anybody got a Fruit of the Spirit song? Heather, you got one? There you go. Has anybody ever heard the song, The Fruit of the Spirit's Not a Coconut? I'm going to spare you. We'll close with that later. Okay. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that all of them? I get them out of order so nobody knows what's going on. I got gentleness. No. Okay. So these are our two options. You can walk in the flesh, do whatever's natural, realize you're corrupted by sin and whatever's natural is not healthy, but you can do it. That's an option. And it's going to produce things that are obvious. He said, we don't even have to go into a lot of depth. He said, those things just flesh out. You end up worshiping things that are not God's. Uh, if you just went with the flow and did whatever your body told you was good, you'd end up committing adultery. You'd be sleeping around. Uh, you'd worship who knows what with witchcraft. Uh, outburst of anger and hatred, right? Somebody does you wrong, so you just naturally respond, and you're just going to go off on them. Those things are not really hard to decipher, to discern. It's just going to happen. But if you walk in the Spirit, these are the things you can expect. Completely different fruit. You can expect something different. Um, but here's the deal. These two are contrasting. Love, there was another one, selfish ambition. Contrasting, right? Joy, and there's another one we left off, jealousy. Those two are contrasting. Uh... Peace, did we get envy? No, we didn't. And envy, those are contrasting. Patience and outburst of anger, those are contrasting. Hatred and kindness, those are contrasting. You see what Paul's doing here. He's painting you two polar opposite options for how you want to live your life. You can follow your flesh, whatever's natural, do it, have at it, but this is where it's going to go. Or you can walk in the Spirit and you can enjoy... Love, joy, peace, and good kid songs like that. 
patience. Fruit of the Spirit. That's our two options. Everybody following me so far? I'm going to draw you a picture. Here's a tool that I want you to have. I want you to have it for yourself so that you can look at your own life and kind of know how things are working. Uh, And I also want you to have it so that you can learn to speak the gospel to others. You see that? That's a really bad tree. Okay. So we see this. Woohoo! Y'all like my roots? That's really bad. Should have taken more time to do that. Here's a tree. Uh, this comes from a guy, author, pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt. He's got a book called Gospel Fluency. Uh, if you want something to read, read that. It's a really good book. And he's got this in here as well. So he asked, there's four questions. Four questions to help you kind of assess what's going on in your life and what the Holy Spirit could be doing in your life. Four questions that we learn to ask. What is the fruit hanging on the tree of my life? What fruit is hanging on the tree of my life? Remember that list we just made of both lists? Second thing is, what do my actions reveal that I'm believing about my identity? So what fruit is hanging on the tree of my life, and what do my actions reveal that I believe about who I am, my own identity? What does my belief about my identity say about the work of God? Who I believe I am, what I'm believing about my identity, reveals what I believe about the work of God, too. It's going to make perfect sense here in a second. What does my belief about the work of God say about His character and His nature? God's character. Character slash nature. Okay? So what fruit is on the tree of my life? What's that say I'm believing about myself? What does I believe about myself say I'm believing about the work of God? What does I believe about the work of God say about His character and His nature? So let me give you a real life example to kind of sum this up for us. I personally, a number of months, a few months ago, had a season of outbursts and anxiety. So a few months ago, that was me. I couldn't have a rational conversation with my wife without getting angry and really upset. And I couldn't sleep at night. Couldn't sleep at night uh, or even sit on the couch and enjoy a TV show without anxiety just continually pressing through my mind and consuming every thought. Okay, so this was me. This was where I was at. Uh, All this was birthed as we were starting uh, our church here. um, And... Salt County was originally part of another group that we called City Church Little Rock. And, and all of this, all of my outburst and anxiety was based on one question, and is it, are we supposed to move? Are we supposed to move across town so that we can be closer to the ministry that, that appears to be taking place? And that single question stole every bit of peace, created anxiety, and outburst. That was the fruit of the tree on my life. But you get to the second question and say, what does uh, my actions reveal that I'm believing about my identity? Uh, I believed that I was responsible for deciding our future, even in areas that I didn't fully know or understand. I believed that it, in, in, about myself that it was my job to decide every detail, to figure it out, to work it out, even in areas of my life that I didn't understand the whole picture or the whole purpose. I believe that was my job. And because that was my job, it created so much anxiety because I was trying to make decisions based on information I didn't have. And now I became full of anxiety and I didn't have peace to even have a conversation with my wife or my kids. And I was extremely upset and angry and very miserable to be around because I believe that was my role to make all those decisions even on half information. 
So what does my belief about my own identity say about the work of God? I believe God did not know the unknown things or that he was not taking care of them. If it's my job to figure everything out, then when it comes to the work of God, he doesn't know it or he's unable to make it happen. That's what I was believing about the work of God. I've got to figure it out. I've got to know the unknown things because apparently God doesn't know them or he's unable to handle them. So then I put all that weight on myself and it created anxiety and an outburst of anger because I'm not geared to carry that, right? But the final question is, what does my belief about the work of God say about his character? If you follow from the root to the fruit, I believe that God is irresponsible or in the dark concerning details of my life. He's irresponsible. He's unable to handle it. Or he's in the dark. There's things that he doesn't know. So I've got to figure them out. Now let me ask you a question. Does any of us believe that God is irresponsible? You believe that? He's untrustworthy. He's reckless with my life. He's going to screw it up. Anybody believe that? Anybody think there's things that are in the dark and God doesn't know about? Like God ever wakes up and says, oh, crap, I did not see that coming. I'm sorry, Josh. Wouldn't have put you there if I knew that was going to take place. Anybody believe that? Like there's things that are in the dark? I had a friend of mine say, God's not chugging Pepto-Bismol all over your situation. He does not have an upset stomach about your situation. Why? Because he sees all things fully and he knows. So do we believe that God's irresponsible? Do we believe that God's unknown? And my obvious answer when I get to the bottom of this is I say, no, I don't believe that at all. In fact, I believe God's faithful. I believe that he knows all things and he's good and he's trustworthy. Right? I mean, that sounds a lot more biblical to me. And I believe it. I believe God is good. I believe he's faithful. I believe he's trustworthy. But if I do believe that God is good and all-knowing, then I can work my way back up. God is good. This is what I'm rooted to. He's faithful. He's all-knowing. Well, if that's the case, then let me work my way back up to this one. What about the work of God? God knows every area in my life, past, present, and future, and he's taking care of every detail. So if I believe this and I'm rooted to this, then he knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows all unknown details of the future, and he's handling it. He's got it. He's got it under control. And then I believe because I'm a son of God, I've been adopted by my heavenly father, that my father will guard every step I take. I believe that. I believe that he'll guard every step I take and he will keep me from falling. Why? Because he's good, faithful, and all-knowing, knows my past, present, my future, and he will guard every step in my present. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt. But if I really believe that, then on the fruit, of, on the tree of my life, I would have kindness and self-control in my home instead of outburst of anger and anxiety. Yeah, that works. So when I'm looking on the fruit of my life and I see evidence of the flesh, I see things that Paul had on that list over there, I'm like, hold up. I'm not walking in the Spirit. Because if I was walking in the Spirit, 
outburst and anxiety would be replaced by kindness and self-control. So let me go back and say, if I'm outburst and anxiety, what do I believe about myself? It's my job to figure it out. I got to make it work. Why do I believe that? Because there's something God doesn't know and he's not going to take care of it. It's my job to take care of it. Well, what does that say I believe about God? That he's either not good, he's not faithful, or he doesn't care. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe that. I believe God is good. I believe he is faithful. I believe he does care. I believe he knows my past, present, future, and he's taking care of every detail so I can be set free because he's going to guard my every step. And now in my home, I'm operating in kindness and self-control, fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is given by faith and for faith. Just because the Spirit of God lives in you, doesn't, it's not a magic pill to make you kind and self-controlled. But he does give you the faith to believe the truth so that you can operate in kindness and self-control. Because apart from the Spirit moving in you, you'll never believe these truths about God, these truths about what he's doing, these truths about you, therefore changing the fruit on the tree of your life. You'll always believe a lie. God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God's not faithful. God's not trustworthy. But the Spirit tells you otherwise, and He helps you to believe otherwise, so therefore producing a different kind of fruit on your life. It's given by faith and for faith. So what's hanging on the fruit of your tree? What fruit is on the tree of your life? Anybody so courageous as to let us walk through this with you? I understand what I'm asking. I understand it's a tough one. What tree is on the fruit of your what fruit is on the tree of your life? So how would you describe looking on that list of Galatians five? Are there anything that says, yep, evidence of the flesh right there? Fits of anger. You are yelling at your innocent dog, taking out all the day's stress on a cute little puppy. Right? I mean, that's that's like literally what's happening. Well, what does that say that you're believing about yourself? Why, what what's creating those fits of anger? that you think is true about yourself. We know your situation is a job thing. We know that there's a lot of unknowns. We know there's a lot of unrest. We know there's a lot of things that you're just not content about. But you're carrying a weight you're not meant to carry. What is it that you believe about yourself that you are supposed to do that puts all that weight on you? You think you can control it? You think you can handle it? What does that say you believe about the work of God? He's not going to control it. He's not going to handle it. What's that say about the character of God? He's not good. Do you believe that? What do you believe? I believe God's good and I believe God's in control. Therefore, He will handle it. He will take care of it. Therefore, I don't have to handle it. I don't have to take care of it. Therefore, I can pet my dog on the head instead of wanting to kick him out of the apartment. Right? I mean, that's just... From root, from, from fruit to root. And, and you're never going to believe that God's good and God's faithful and God's going to take care of it if the Holy Spirit's not dwelling in you, causing you to have enough faith to believe that, right? You're never going to try hard enough to believe hard enough to make things better. 
You can't. That's just more burden you're putting on yourself, thinking that it's your role to, to make things better. It's your role. Obviously, if I'm acting out in fits of rage, I just need to try harder. Well, that's what you're saying about your own identity. What's that say about the work of God? He's not trying for me. What's that say about the character of God? I guess he's lazy. You believe that? I don't. You see how this works? From the fruit to the root. And begin to see the work of the Spirit and how to walk in the Spirit. And enjoy the benefits of the goodness of the gospel in everyday life. You don't have to try harder. It's our unbelief that haunts us, causes us to walk in the flesh. It's all it is. And we need you to speak the gospel back to us so that we can re-see our own situation, that we can understand how the gospel applies to my own situation. We have got to learn to do this for and with each other. If we can do this, our DNA groups are going to be incredible. And your evangelism and your, your neighboring, it's going to be incredible. Otherwise, you're just going to put a guilt trip on people and try to make them carry burdens they're not meant to carry. You're going to carry burdens you're not meant to carry. Cool? Gospel's good. For eternal life, for everyday life. Spirit is in you through faith and for faith. Every day. Every day. I'm going to pray for us. Um, and then I want to just, is there anybody we can pray with? before we close her down. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good. Nobody says, nope, don't want more of that. You can keep it. Ah, we'd all be set free, enjoying the goodness of the gospel every day. We've got to fight for each other and with each other. We pray for you. God, thank you for the family that you're shaping, creating. We pray for those that are not with us today. They're sick. They're traveling. They're um, going through things that we don't, we don't even know about, Father. I pray that we would see it. Reveal the things we need to reveal.